0: Um, today, we are going to be in John chapter 16 together. If you want to get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 16. Then as I was looking at this scripture, really, it started getting me to think, actually, I started thinking about my wife, Trisha. And can you believe, um, just a, a short time ago, Trisha and I celebrated 26 years of of being married, 26 years, pretty cool, pretty cool, and, um, uh, and actually what's crazy about that is we have known each other since we were 15 years old, and so there's been so much time and life together, and we've been through so much stuff together that I can't honestly remember what life would be like or was like without her around. And since that time, there's been very few days we've ever had to be apart. But there has, of course, been those times where she's had to go her way, and I've had to go mine, and we have been apart. But I always tell her I struggle. In fact, I'm straight up honest with her. I say, when you're not around, I'm a mess. And she doesn't believe me, but I'm telling you this, this is true. I stay up way too late watching TV I either forget to eat or I eat too much. I have ice cream for dinner. I'm tired and miserable the next day. I lack drive. I lack discipline. I lack passion. Even our dogs look at me like, what is your problem? I cannot get it together when Trisha's not around. It's, It's horrible. And so anyone who has ever said, well, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I am convinced has no idea what they're talking about because if you ask me, absence just plain stinks. It's not fun. It's no good. In fact, it can be downright heartbreaking to us. And so with that in mind, I, I guess I could start kind of imagining what the disciples must have been feeling. Because if you remember, Jesus had warned them that he was going to be leaving them, but they just didn't seem to get it. Or maybe it was that they just couldn't imagine their life without him. I mean, after all, they had been through so much together. They had seen so much. They had heard so much and experienced so much. I mean, the disciples had grown so dependent on Jesus that I wonder if they just couldn't imagine their life without him. And so now he's saying he's going to be going away? I mean, what on earth is happening here? And that's when we jump into chapter 16, and I'm going to start in verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 5, and I'll put these on the screen too. It goes like this. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. You see, in this moment, the disciples were so filled with grief at the idea that Jesus was going to be going away. They were so consumed with their lives and their grief and how they were going to be affected by Jesus leaving, that it says they forgot to ask Jesus where he was going. They didn't check in on him. They didn't ask him how he was feeling about all this. Was he happy? Was he sad? What was going on? Jesus had told them here that he's going back home to the one who sent him. So in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go home to be with my father. He's telling them, I am get to go home. Jesus is going home. This is incredible. His his job, his mission, his purpose here on this earth, it was was coming to a close, and he was going to get to go home to be with his father. But the disciples, they just couldn't think about that because they were too filled with their own grief in this moment. And so what Jesus says to them in these next verses was really meant to calm their hearts it was meant to to give them some hope in this moment so this is what Jesus goes on to tell them he says but in fact it's best for you that I go away because if I don't the advocate won't come if I do go away then I will send him to you so Jesus says here look it's best for you that I go away and that doesn't make sense to them how could it be best for Jesus to go away? And that's why I want to lock in on this bottom truth this weekend with you. That is simply this. What's best for us may not make sense to us. Because even when we understand this logic, even when we reach a maturity where we can accept and deal with this truth, we still have a hard time with it. We struggle. And so the question I want to ask today and hopefully answer is why was it best for Jesus to go away? Why was it best for the disciples, and why was it best for us? I mean, how could anything but the physical presence of Jesus in our lives be for the best? Well, The simple answer is, well, with Jesus going home, we now have the Holy Spirit. But let me give you a little bit longer of an answer. And it has to do with this. Jesus said, "If I don't go, the Advocate won't come." He's referring to the Holy Spirit here. In fact, I, I underline, I circle this word "Advocate" in my Bible. It is a it is a important word. It is a Greek word that means Paraclete. That it, that literally means it one who comes alongside, one who comes comes side of us. The Holy Spirit is one that Jesus has sent to come alongside of us. And he does this in a number of ways. In fact, I love how the Amplified Bible, how it translates this verse. It says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, it says the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, to be in close fellowship with you. You see, up to this point in time, God's Spirit had not permanently indwelt a believer. Now, there had been certain times and certain places for certain purposes that the Holy Spirit had come upon believers, but not Permanently. So what Jesus is telling them here is completely different than what they were used to. Jesus was promising his disciples... That once he went away, he would send his spirit, and that spirit would be available to each and every follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you remember just two chapters earlier when we were in John chapter 14, Jesus gave them a little insight into this. He said, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. This is critical. This is different because what Jesus is promising them now is that as he leaves, he's promising a permanent, personal presence of God in his people through his spirit. And this is so cool because when Jesus walked on this earth, he walked in a physical body. Well, with that came some limitations, If you remember, Philippians chapter 2 tells us he was born as a human. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He had limitations of a human body. I mean, sometimes I've thought to myself, especially when I'm going through hard things in my life, I've thought to myself, man, if only Jesus would be here with me right now. I just want Jesus. That would be what is best for me, is if Jesus would show up in the flesh, right here, right now. That's what I want. But there's a problem with that request, right? Because if he showed up to me, that means he can't show up to you. And if he's showing up to you, he can't show up to me. And so when we have God's Spirit within us, the Spirit who is unlimited, who's not bound by time, not bound by space, not bound by limitations of a human body, that means that you and I can both have God's Spirit within us working at the same time. So as He is comforting you, He's comforting me. As He's guiding you, He's guiding me. As He's encouraging you, He's encouraging me. And this is such an incredible gift that we have. But the disciples... They didn't get it. It didn't make sense. Because remember, what's best for us doesn't always make sense to us. And so Jesus goes on in verse 8 to try to describe to the disciples exactly what the Holy Spirit was going to do in their lives and in the world. And he says this in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now I'm telling you this, when I read this, I circled the word convict because this isn't a word that I normally associate with anything good. But when he says convict, this word, it really means to convince or to prove or to persuade. It's a legal term. And so just as a defense lawyer would try to convict or or convince or prove or persuade a jury that his defendant is innocent while a persecuting attorney would try to convict or persuade or prove a jury that the defendant was guilty, right? This is all going on. And so I think, why is this for our best? Well, Jesus tells us it's best that the Holy Spirit convicts us. It doesn't make sense to me, because I've listened to enough true, po- true crime podcasts to know when you're convicted, you're in trouble. But Jesus goes on to say, no, no, no let, me, let me tell you what happens here. Yes, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Convict you of what? Well, he says in verse 8, he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, to which again I go, well, how is this for my good? this doesn't make sense. How can being convicted of sin be a good thing? Well, let me tell you why. It's because conviction demands change. Notice here, the Holy Spirit doesn't guilt you into anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't guilt. Guilt doesn't demand change. Guilt just makes you feel bad. Guilt is a tactic of our enemy. God doesn't speak in guilt. He speaks with conviction, meaning there is something that I recognize needs to be changed, and I'm willing to do something about it. And it's a good thing if you and I are convinced or convicted of sin, because that conviction, it pushes us towards Jesus. In fact, it's the very next verse that that Jesus says in in verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So it's a good thing if you and I are convicted or convinced of our sin because until we are convicted of our sinfulness, we won't acknowledge we have a need for a Savior. It's at the moment that I recognize I am sinful is the moment I go, I need salvation. I need a Savior. And for me, it was a fairly young age that this happened. God convicted my heart, and I recognized and I admitted that my heart was far from God. And it was through this conviction that I knew that I needed to change, and I wanted my life to be different, and I knew I was in need of salvation. Then it's because of this conviction in my heart that I turned to Jesus, and I made Him the leader of my life. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm so grateful for this conviction of sin. It is a good thing. But then Jesus goes on here in verse 8 to say this. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. That's a good thing. And of God's righteousness. He will convict him us of His righteousness. That just simply means that God is righteous. That is a word we don't use very often. It means that God is always right. He is holy. He is just. He is perfect. God is perfect. That is righteous. To which that leaves us with a little bit of a predicament. Because how can I, a sinner, and how can you, a sinner, Convicted of sin, be in the presence of a perfect, righteous God. Well, we can't. We can't. Unless, unless there's an advocate. An advocate is one who comes and stands with us and stands in our place on our behalf. In fact, Jesus goes on to say this in verse 10. He says, righteousness is available. It's available to all of us. How? because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So Jesus went to the cross as an innocent man convicted of our sin as a criminal and was placed on a cross and died. He took the punishment that you and I deserve and he replaced our sin with his righteousness, meaning this, when a person confesses their sins, and they turn to Jesus because conviction demands change. We turn to Jesus. God the Father, He sees us through Christ, which means He sees the righteousness of Jesus in us. And we are made right with God. And we don't have to face the condemnation we deserve. This in and of itself, I'm telling you, if you don't have a reason to celebrate before, this gives you reason to celebrate today. This is, this is worth our praise and worship and gratitude that we have been saved from this, literally saved from the penalty we deserve, and been made right with God through Jesus. This is incredible. But then that's not all. He goes on. In verse 8, it's more. He says, when he comes, he convicts the world of sin. That's good. He convicts the world of God's righteousness. That's good. But then he convicts the world of coming judgment. Okay, this is where I draw the line. I'm with him up till now. But judgment, this is where it gets uncomfortable. In fact, he even says in verse 11, judgment will come. Meaning this is a promise. This is a guarantee. There's no getting around it. Judgment will come Why? Because the ruler of this world has already been judged. This is something we don't like to talk about. We're not comfortable with this idea, the reality of judgment, the reality that there's a penalty to be paid for our sin, there's a penalty to be paid for turning our backs on Jesus and refusing to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. We don't like this thought of judgment. Because let's be honest, we all like the thought of this warm, fuzzy, forgiving, caring, nice, generous God. We like that God. I don't like the God as a judged thought. And frankly, it's a little bit scary, and so we don't talk about it. But I'm telling you this, it is guaranteed to those who turn their backs on Jesus. He says judgment will come. It will for those who refuse to believe. And Jesus. But again, as one who has given their life to following Jesus, this gives me pause to celebrate. This is good news for me because I have been saved from this. And so Jesus, he goes on to say, Yes, we'll be convicted of these things, but they were good things. But he says this in the next couple of verses. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. He's like, look, I got got so much to say, but you can't can't take it in. So, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Now, there's a two-fold meaning going on here in these verses when he says he will guide you into all truth. The first thing I think he's saying is he's talking specifically to the disciples then he's telling them as writers of Scripture that I am going to give you the spirit of truth to write Scripture. The words that we hold in our hands in this book were inspired by the Holy Spirit through these people to write. So he literally guided them, and many of the things that he, they wrote were things that had not yet happened in the future. But there's another thing I think that's happening when he says he will guide you into all truth. Not only is that a promise to the people who wrote scripture, but it's a promise to us on a daily basis as he points us and leads us to the truth of God's word so that we can understand and we can apply this to our lives. That is why I always encourage you when you're studying Scripture, when you're in your chair time and you're reading, always start your time reading by saying this simple prayer. This Holy Spirit be here with me now. Open my eyes to your Word. Open my eyes to what God would have me to see so that I can apply it to my life so that I can be more like Jesus. Help me to understand. And when you pray that prayer and you invite The spirit of truth to come in and guide you. I promise you this. It is a game changer. And that is why Jesus says, look, it is best for you that I go away. It didn't make sense to the disciples, but it was what was best for them. And it's what's best for us. The spirit of truth would guide them and will continue to guide us into truth. He will continue to help us understand God's Word. He continues to help us discover truth about ourselves. He continues to help us dig deep into the truth of our feelings, into situations, and how we perceive life, and relationships, and people. The Spirit's role is to lead us into truth. And the amazing thing about that is when we follow the spirit of truth lead in our lives, we never have to worry about following a lie. Never. Because he is always true. The only thing is, is sometimes how he leads and where he leads... I have to be honest, it just doesn't always make sense, does it? Because what's best for us doesn't always make sense to us. And so Jesus kind of wraps up his teaching to the disciples here on the Holy Spirit in these next couple of verses. Let me me highlight these. He says, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So I, I see a common theme here in these past couple of chapters in John, right? If you remember last week when we were looking at John chapter 15, we said the importance of abiding, right? The importance of remaining in Him. And when we remain in Him, what happens? We produce fruit. What is the ultimate goal in our lives of producing fruit? If you remember, He tells us that this brings great glory to my Father. And now in chapter 16, we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is about bringing glory to God through Jesus. And then now, and we're going to see next week in chapter 17, more of the same, about bringing glory. This is a critical theme throughout John, that we bring glory to God. And so as the Holy Spirit comforts us and guides us and encourages us and comes alongside of us as our advocate, it's all to bring glory to Jesus. And isn't that the goal of our lives? The best thing you and I could ever do as followers of Jesus is to have him be glorified through our lives, that we would reflect his character and who he is His care and his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and all the things that are him that they would be reflected through our lives to others, thus bringing him glory and hopefully leading other people to following Jesus and giving them hope in return. The disciples, though, they just, they were, they were, they'd grown so close to Jesus that when he said he was leaving, they, they were distraught. They were troubled. It didn't make sense to them because what's best for us doesn't always make sense to us. And, and I can only describe this to you using my own life. Because he, he, here's the deal. It was like 25, 26 years ago that I declared and I swore I would never work in a church Ever. And I did this because I was resentful and I was hurt by church people who were unkind to me. And I and I I ran. I I, I pursued a different career. I totally did the Jonah thing. I moved my whole fam, family to Florida. To get away and I thought this is where we're going to spend the rest of our lives here and I'll just kind of keep church at an arm's length away that's how I thought it would go nothing was making sense though we were there in my career that we had moved for was starting to crumble things weren't going well that six months we had bought this house six months later the housing market collapsed We were victims of that. My world was falling apart. We were losing it all. Nothing made sense. I didn't know what to do. So I tucked my tail between my legs and I crawled home. I crawled home as a broken, embarrassed man, feeling like a complete failure. Then I turned to church only to be hurt again. And I said, There it is. I knew it. And I held it at an arm's length away again, and nothing made sense. And then, I remember the day the chapel called me. I thought it was a joke. And I I was skeptical. And I was doubtful. And I met with some of the pastors and the elders and talked to them. And they showed me so much love and grace and patience. And they offered me a position here at the church. And I remember with tears in my eyes, I looked at Pastor Bill and I said, No, you don't want me. I'm broken and hurt, and you can do better. Nothing makes sense to me right now. And I'll never forget the look on his face when he just sat back and he smiled and he said, That's perfect. And I said, What are you talking about? I remember leaving that office and getting in the car with my wife and said, what just happened? And she was like, I don't know. (laughs) It It was, nothing made sense. Well, last week was my 14th year here at the chapel. Thank you. I tell you this. In the last 14 years, I have seen his people worship. I have experienced life change. I have witnessed countless baptisms, child dedications, weddings. I have seen joy and and encouragement in loss. I have seen people worship and praise during funerals. I saw my wife... And my kids loved. I've seen the Norwalk campus grow and thrive and people running to experience grace and hope. I've seen marriages that were healed. I have seen relationships find forgiveness. I've seen my own hurt healed. And in the midst of crying out to God, God, nothing makes sense. I have seen the best. And God has been glorified. And when nothing made sense... I experienced an Advocate I experienced my advocate. That is, I experienced the one who was my comforter when I was going through times of sorrow. I experienced an intercessor when I didn't know how to pray or what to pray. I experienced a counselor when I didn't know what to do. I have experienced a strengthener when I was weak, a standby when I felt alone, and I experienced an advocate when I just needed someone to stand with me and beside me and for me. Look, I can't convince you today of what to believe. All I have is me and my life and my story. And I pray today that God would be glorified through me as I allow the Holy Spirit to work. And so I want to close with this question to you. Does everything in your life make sense? Does everything in your life make sense? Because if not, then that's perfect. Because that is where you can look to Jesus. And you can seek and trust the Holy Spirit's lead in your life. And I promise you this, that is where the best will be found. So let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for this gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the conviction, the presence, the truth, the advocate. Lord, I thank you. This is incredible. And Lord, I admit that I long to see you face to face someday. I am forever grateful, Lord, for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So thank you, Lord Jesus. May we recognize that and live that out this week with that truth in mind. In your name I pray and ask, amen. Hey, have a great rest of your week.